Hey, y'all. So before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to give you a gentle reminder that my book, After the Rain, is debuting in October of this year. It's my fourth collection of work, and I'm really proud of it. Now, while we wait for this collection to come to the world, I will be talking to some folks who helped me bring this book to fruition. In this episode, I'm sitting down with my agent, Cindy, who is just phenomenal. She has been an advocate for me and my work through this entire process process and I am so grateful to have her support and her on my team in this way. We're going to be talking about her journey into becoming a literary agent to her self-care practices and of course we're going to talk about After the Rain and how she might have believed in me a little more than I believed in myself. So enjoy this episode. Please pre-order After the Rain. You can do so in the episode notes. It's very important for authors and I appreciate you and I'm so grateful that you're here and a part of this community. Okay, here's Cindy. Hi, I'm Alex L. and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hi, Cindy. How are you today? I am doing so much better that I get to start my morning off with you. (laughs) I appreciate that. I am so excited to chat with you today. But before we get started, please let the Hey Girl listeners know who you are and what you do. Hello, everyone. My name is Cindy Ah. I'm a literary agent at Creative Artists Agency, and I work with writers to bring their stories into the world. Yes, and Cindy is also my agent, so that's very exciting that we're able to talk and connect, and I want to start with a little backstory before we dive into like the new book and all the hard work that we put in together. How did you start in the literary world? Where were you before, and why the career change? Yeah, so I actually was a lawyer. I worked as an employment discrimination lawyer representing employees in the workplace, and I loved that job. And, you know, eventually after a couple years, I realized that I was not built for litigation, which is going to court and fighting over documents, but I really loved the storytelling aspect of my job. And so I decided to take creative writing classes and that just unlocked this lifelong love I had for books my entire life. And I was like, if I don't do this now, I will probably not have this chance. And, you know, before we talk in your book about how you have to intentionally choose change over comfort, you know, and I think about that a lot. And so I, you know, went into becoming a literary agent because a lot of the skill sets transferred from, you know, working with clients, advocating for them, you know, deal making, editing, writing, all of that kind of was sort of this really beautiful transition in terms of, you know, what I felt like were my strengths. And I could put that into a job that gave me a lot of purpose. That's wonderful, first of all. And, you know, I didn't know I needed an agent until I met you. And I want to talk about, you know, advocating for folks, because even, you know, when you were a lawyer, you were advocating for people and now you're advocating for folks in this new way. What has the literary world and the law field taught you about the importance of advocating for folks? And how is that teaching you to lean into community and to build community. I think that's really at the heart of every single day when I wake up. And I think that they're connected in the sense that telling people's stories 
stories that are often not told, whether it's because of access, whether it's because space is not being provided, whether it's because it's defined those stories that have often been rejected or pushed to the margins and opening up that space for people to tell their own story. And that was the case when I was practicing law. Experiences of employees in the workplace getting discriminated against that HR or the heads of companies were not listening to, right? And in the publishing world, literary agents are gatekeepers, right? We field a lot of different stories and find ones that we connect to and the ones that we want to amplify through our work. And so I think there are similarities there in terms of, you know, every agent brings their own perspective to the work that they do. And a lot of it is very personal. And so I think that my own experiences shape the way that I connect to people's stories and the perspective that I can provide being an agent and guiding them through the process. I think what really sold me on you, I wanted to pick you right away and you were like, no, no, (laughs) interview around and see who else is out there. But there was just something about your experience, your kind heartedness, you being a woman of color and, you know, you coming to DC from New York to meet us, me and Ryan and the baby and having this in-person connection. And also you were familiar with my work already. And I was just like, this is who I need in my life. How often do you have that experience with your clients um, and the folks that you're advocating for? Yeah, I don't always get to meet my clients in person, you know, so I do think that when I have the opportunity, I always make sure that I get that chance because I think there's something about meeting someone in person and being able to kind of talk that really kind of transcends sort of just email and things like that. I think I connect with all of my writers in different ways. You know, I had been following your work for a long time. You, you had, you know, published on your own and then gone to another press and knew you were not agented. Um, but, you know, the reason I told you to speak with other agents, it's advice I always give to potential clients who are considering representation is because it is such a partnership. There's a lot of trust that's involved. And I think finding the right person for you is more important than anything else, right? Because you are going to be writing the ups and downs of book publishing together. And there are not, there are always going to be challenges to that. And I think finding the person that you connect with, um, that you feel has your best interests at heart is really important to longevity of that relationship and your career. So that's why I gave you that particular advice. But I always connect with my writers in a certain way that makes me a better advocate for them yes to be able to really connect with their work I would say every single author I work with has resonated with me in a particular way because it gives a point of view on their work and their writing Mm. and how to best bring that to the world so without that connection and that passion I just wouldn't be doing my job Yeah, that's why I love you so much. You're amazing. So let's talk a little bit about After the Rain and how that came to fruition and the partnership in that. Because as I was working with you, you know, this was a completely different experience for me. As you mentioned, I went from self-publishing to a smaller press and then to be with Chronicle, this awesome major publisher, to have my book go to auction. And it was just so new. It kind of just... 
solidified my career in a sense. I know that I had already started building, but this was like, you know, the big girl career move. So can we talk a little bit about your experience working with me on After the Rain and just how that was for you from an agent's standpoint? Yeah, I would love to, because when we connected and we decided to work together, you know, for me, it was like you were ready. And Mm -hmm. the experiences that you had, you know, publishing on your own, then going to a smaller press, and then finally being like, okay, I'm ready for this next step, you know, really reflects like your own journey of self-discovery and self-love, I think. Mm -hmm. At least I look at it that way. Yeah. I think you were ready to kind of step into your own light and trust somebody to see that in you Mm -hmm. and to help you get there. Right. Whereas I think before you were really wanting to own and control it all because you had the specific goal for yourself, you know, and allowing to see your potential and to help you arrive there, I think was a really important step. And it was one that I was I saw you were ready to take. And I remember you and Ryan were in town for an event and you guys were staying at a hotel on the Lower East Side. And I came to see you guys. And Mm -hmm. you were like, can I show you my manuscript? Mm -hmm. And we sat side by side on the couch and you showed me what you had been writing. And the thing with After the Rain is that our entire life prepared you to write this. And you you wrote this so quickly. It was just flowing out of you. You know, like you had been waiting to tell these stories. And I think working on this with you and figuring out the ways that you connect with your audience, which is, you know, your affirmations, the prompts that you give and layering that into your own experiences really allowed your readers and your audience for the first time to hear your story and to hear your journey. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a crucial part of this book is that it's the first time that you are being really vulnerable. You talk a lot about really difficult experiences in your life from childhood all the way to marriage and kids. And you do it in such a beautiful way with incredible vulnerability and, you know, lessons that people can take away from all these hard experiences, you know? And I think I told you that I feel like after the rain has a soul. Mm. And I think it's because you poured yourself into this, you know, and you can see it on every single page. And it was just a gift to put this together. And I think Rachel, your editor, also received it in that way. And that is why it is as perfect as it is. It really just, oh my God, you're going to make me cry. (laughs) I forgot that I had started working on it when we were in New York. I didn't start in New York, but I forgot I had it. I forgot we had that whole experience. And then you brought it up and like, oh my God, yes, we were there with Isla and just like with my mom And I remember sitting on that couch and letting you see what I had so far and being really nervous, like feeling like a vulnerability hangover, as Brene Brown calls it. And you affirming me all the way through has just really been so supportive and also, you know, asking me some challenging questions and encouraging me to stand in my power to say no to things I want to say no to and say yes to things I want to say yes to and like have this flexibility and being in partnership this way in my career is so is what I needed. Like you are absolutely right. I was definitely like, no, I'll do it myself. I got it. And to not have to have it and to say, you know, that I have someone standing next to me through this has just been life changing. It has been life-changing and I'm so happy that After the Rain will be in the world in October and the book is beautiful and I do want to talk about like the funny moment we had with the title and like how After the Rain was like my title that I was not 
trying to budge. And then our publisher, they're so amazing. Like we're going back and forth with like, should that be the name? And I just remember the name that they came up with. I can't remember it now, but when they came up with it, me and Ryan were just cracking up laughing. And then we ended up back on After the Rain anyway. So I want to talk a little bit about like how often (laughs) that happens and the importance of flexible boundaries and compromise. Because really it is a partnership between me, you, and the publisher. So can we talk about that a bit? Yes. Cover debates are always heated, I have to say, (laughs) and for good reason, right? It's the way that your book meets the world. And I think everyone feels very strongly about that on both sides. And whenever this happens, I always remind my clients and my writers, everyone has the same goal in mind, right? And so the differences in opinions are coming from a place of wanting the best for this book. And I think once people are able to sit in that perspective, then sort of more open dialogue happens, right? And then on the other end of that, it's me calling your editor and saying, this really isn't working, you know, and here are the ideas that we have and being able to compromise and get to a place where everyone is just happy about the way that the book has turned out because at the end of the day, the publisher doesn't want you going out there and promoting a book that you don't love every inch of it, you know? And we had a lot of discussions about the material for the cover and the colors and where the subtitle was going to be and, you know, (laughs) all those details though. And being able to have an open discussion about what would work best ultimately ended up in a cover that you adore. And, you know, it's always a very heated uh, situation, but it always results in the most beautiful book because I think everyone comes to the table with a lot of different ideas and it's about getting to a place where it feels like the Yeah. And it's funny looking back on it because for me, it's, I like things how I like them. And this experience for sure, especially as it relates to my career, has shown me the importance of just giving room for other perspectives, especially when it comes to my art. And every time I think about my art, I think about Erica Badu saying like her famous quote that I'm sensitive about my shit. And like that's literally how this whole experience has been just really tender for me and to be with Chronicle I just feel like they see me and having you in my corner I just feel seen and heard and respected so even though you know we had this moment of like anxiety and intensity because I was like this other name for the book this other like no that that can't happen we were able to talk through it and I was heard I wasn't like gaslit or ignored or made to feel, you know, any way other than, okay, well, let's keep talking about it. And I'm bringing that up because I never quite had that growing up and I have worked really hard to cultivate space for me to be able to listen and also be able to make room to talk about things and feel supported in that. So this whole experience with traditional publishing and being with this new publisher and being agented has taught me so much, has stretched me so much and shown me self-belief and self-love and also like what boundaries look like, flexible boundaries and that it's not, you know, always one or the other. Sometimes it is in the gray and it's like, okay, how do we work through that? I'm just so grateful for you, truly. 
Yeah, I mean, this is such deeply personal work, right? I mean, book writing, especially from, you know, you're really writing a memoir and essays along with sort of affirmations and meditations in this book. It's so deeply personal. And I think Rachel understands that. I understand that. And so throughout this entire process, you know, at the forefront of our minds is how do we get to a place where Alex is able to tell her story and own it fully and be proud of the work that she's putting out there, Mm -hmm. you know, and for it to reflect who you are. Mm -hmm. And that is our job, you know, to navigate you through this process, everything from the writing and editing of your essays to the placement of the affirmations and meditations, and then to what the book visually looks like, right? That's all part of it. And, you know, we just feel incredibly lucky to be bringing this book out into the world with you. And it has such relevance now. I was rereading it when I got the final copy, which I hold in my hands, I think it's stunning. It is. And was flipping through it and reading through it again. And there are just so many just words in here that resonate today, even more than they did when I first read this manuscript. And I think after the rain is so fitting because we're sort of in a stormy period right now in our country. And I think by October, when this book comes out, I think a lot of people are going to find what you have to say even more of a guiding light than if it had come out earlier. I'm honored to be working with you and Rachel and I'm so very excited. I can't, like words cannot even explain how ready I am for this project to release. So thank you. So before we wrap up, I definitely want to talk about your self-care practice as someone who is standing in advocacy for your clients. You have family members, you have friends. How are you taking care of yourself in your work and outside of your work? Thank you for asking that. It's something I've been reflecting on a lot. You can ask a lot of my closest friends and family members. I'm always somebody who puts others' needs before my own. I'm sure you're like this too. I think a lot of women are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my job requires me to hold a lot of space, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons I really value it because that's a lot of trust that goes into that. I think for me, it's kind of checking in with myself. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. Lately, I try to go on walks. I don't listen to music. I don't listen to podcasts. I just observe and listen to birds out in the suburbs. So bird song is new to me after many years in the city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, meditation is not, it's something that I strive to, but I haven't cracked yet, but I still give that a go. You know, and checking in with friends, feeling connection, I think is really important for me right now. Yeah. Right now, I'm not in New York City. I have every intention of going back, you know, tending to my family right now. And so finding connection has been really, really important. I think it makes you prioritize the relationships that fuel you. And rather than feeling absent from experiences, I'm finding myself wanting to be part of things as part of community, right? And Mm -hmm. part of what's going on. And that's also self-care for me, rather than kind of doing things in isolation and getting rest. I could work all night. I know you do too. (laughs) And putting in those boundaries for myself to truly rest has been a gift to be able to hold space for others. As you were talking, I imagined you, you know, just walking and having that be a meditation. You said that meditation is something that you haven't quite gotten a hold of, but that like walking alone, observing in stillness, that's a moving meditation. And that's something that, you know, I've been really enjoying too, is like, how can I make meditation from the mundane things like walking, like washing my face? It doesn't always have to be like on the pillow because I'm the worst meditator when it comes to like sitting on a pillow, (laughs) but I 
I can like do other things. And I think that that's really important that you pointed that out, that you go on walks, you move your body, you listen to the birds, you're in, you know, you're in the present moment. And if that's not meditation, I don't know what is. So I think that that's just wonderful. You know, you have this this opening chapter in your book where you get up really early and the kids are asleep and you take your coffee and you go mm-hmm. for a walk. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading that, I was like, oh, that's what I do. Like it's meditation in its own way. Yeah. I also have a really intense skincare routine right now, <laughs> which is only because of the pandemic. So I also find that really at the end of my day, it's the close of my day, right? I don't pick up my phone after that. I do my sheet mask. I have my serums and mm. it's really lovely because you know sort of when I was in the city and going out and things like that I just didn't have time sometimes to do that so hopefully I'll come out of this with you know really strong skin game. So what would you tell women of color who want to get into the literary space and advocate for folks in this way and stand beside people telling their stories? I think first of all believe in your story believe in the power of your story you know understand kind of how you want to tell that story and advocate for it. You know, you have to be your own advocate. Unfortunately, the way that publishing is set up, you know, a lot of the people who are making these decisions, women of color simply don't have access to. When I decided to transition from becoming a lawyer to becoming an agent, I had no connections in the industry. And so I applied for internships at 32 years old and people did not get back to me. And so I went on LinkedIn. And I just started to email agents asking them for advice and, you know, could I buy them a coffee? Could I get on the phone with them? And I think for women of color, especially, it's finding your community of writers, right? It's about being able to share information to support one another, you know, and to always ask. I think that women of color, writers of color, I think rejection is especially hard when you do not have access. And I think you have to be your own advocate. And that starts from a lot of different places, but always believing in what you have to say is so important because all you need is that one person who reads it and says, yes, this is it. Hey, so it's me popping in here again uh, before we go. I loved this conversation with Cindy so much. She is one of the most amazing women that I've encountered in my career, and I am just blown away by her vulnerability and her honesty. So after we had this conversation, she sent me a text and said, hey, I think I need to reflect a little bit deeper on self-care. And I told her, go ahead. And if she wants to send new audio, she can. Initially, that audio was supposed to be plugged into this episode. But instead, I wanted Wayne to add it to the end. And the reason why is because self-care is not linear. Neither is healing, neither are our feelings. And Cindy's reflection on self-care after our conversation really struck me and I hope that you enjoy it and I hope that her vulnerability and bravery and honesty gives you permission to explore what self-care looks like for you today and what it could look like for you tomorrow. So enjoy this added bonus snippet and take care. Self-care during this time has been profoundly challenging. You know, the world is shifting every single day. Our lives don't look familiar to us. Everything is unknown. And it's really hard to feel grounded, you know? And I look back on those first few weeks of the pandemic and I almost don't even recognize myself. I felt so helpless. I was clawing my way through the day, feeling depleted. And because I'm somebody that needs to process and I was unable to do that, my emotions were just heightened. And I think when I realized that self-care looks different now is when the things that I usually did to feel connected 
to feel rooted, I just didn't have the energy for. And that's when I knew that there was a misalignment in the way that I was taking care of myself and the way that I wanted to show up in the world. And those two things are so connected. And so little by little, I just started to carve out time and create more boundaries. You know, I really cannot be on a screen all day and work and life right now requires you to do that. And I think for me, stepping outside, going for a walk without my phone, being still, resting, which I'm historically very bad at doing, and giving myself permission to rest when I need it, has allowed me to restore and to fill my cup and given me more bandwidth to do the things that are really important to me, like connecting with my friends, connecting with my family, and finding balance again in a new way. I also think during this time, a lot of emotions have come to the surface that, you know, I've always recognized, but you know, life got busy and it was harder to find time, easier to find excuses, rather not to do the harder work. And, you know, a part of self-care for me right now is doing the inner work, slowly making the time to heal and to address things in my life that I'm now seeing have, you know, held me back or, you know, restricting my growth, things like that on a more personal level. And I have a nightly skincare routine. It's really simple, but it's the one thing that I've done every single day because it's sort of a, a tangible act of taking care of myself. And at the end of the day, when I'm, you know, sort of getting ready for bed and letting go of the day, it's a reminder to me that in order to show up for other people in my life and to be the best version of myself, I need to start with me. And I think what gives me a lot of hope about all of this is that I truly believe that we are all going to come out the other end of this completely changed. And I do believe that we're all going to be changed for the better. And self-care in whatever way you find it in your day and in the world is going to be a radical tool to help guide you to that point. And so investing in that is becoming so much more important now than it ever has been. And I'm so, so, so grateful for that. And I'm grateful for you because you give us the tools and the space to do the messy work and to make sure that we are putting ourselves first so that we can be there for everyone in our lives and for the world in which that they need us to show up. So I'm very grateful for that. Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. The Hey Girl podcast is produced by Wayne Bartram and me, Alex L.